Welcome to the Magnify podcast. Magnify is a platform at the intersection of faith, feminism, and fashion. During these episodes, we have conversations with dynamic individuals that we hope will leave you intrigued, inspired, and informed. How to be responsible for our own progress. There are times when we may feel like the job we are in fails to progress us or help us develop our skills. So when we feel like this, what steps can we take to ensure we're doing the things that will better our futures and help us master our craft? In this episode, we spoke to Tallulah Doherty Adetona, who started out as an ITV newsroom journalist and is now a TV host, entrepreneur and content creator based in Lagos, Nigeria. In this episode, she spoke about the ways she took control of her own development from when she started out as a news reporter to the major media personality she is today. She also spoke about the importance of women being vocal at work about what they want and the importance of fulfilling your own purpose, not someone else's. Let's listen in. I'm really, really excited to interview you today. Um, So I always like to start with um, a question to Mm -hmm. kind of find out more your vibe and the kind of people that you like to chat to or you would like to have the opportunity to speak to. Um, So if you could have a party with four guests from any era or present, um, who would they be and why? Okay, yeah, so I had to think about this. I really, you know, I I think you sent me the question beforehand and I was really like uh, thinking, who would it be? It's quite a broad spectrum because for me I admire so many people um and I I'm a literature graduate so you know I read so many books not anymore but I used to I guess so um so yeah I like to learn from people sort of throughout history but um if I had to whittle it down to four it would be (laughs) it's a bit of a weird list but it would be Nelson Mandela, Jackie Collins, I love her, uh, Michelle Obama and Margaret Thatcher. Oh, very interesting. Why Margaret Thatcher? I just love her. I just think, you know, to be, you know, female prime minister. I mean, now there's so much about female empowerment and, you know, girl bosses and you can do this and you can do that. But back in the, I think it was the 80s, it wasn't, it wasn't like that, you know. And so for women to sort of have that, because I think it takes a lot of self-belief to achieve things. Because oftentimes, you know, not even just as a woman, as a person, you probably see things in yourself before other people maybe see those same qualities in you um so I feel like to have to be prime minister but also even the process to becoming a female prime minister um must just have been such a I don't know must just have taken so much drive and willpower and self-belief and confidence and, and yeah so that's why I think I'm really fascinated by Margaret Thatcher amazing and so what's a like weird or unusual fact about you I'm a total introvert. It's so funny. People think that I'm really, because, you know, I'm a presenter. Uh, they think I'm really outgoing, really, you know, sort of like an extrovert. But that is literally like 25% of my personality. So when I've filmed a show or, you know, done something that requires a lot of enthusiasm, should I say, I need like three days to recover, just like <laughs> in my little quiet space. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's... Yeah, so being an introvert, I think, might be something people may not um, may not think about me. Um, and then finally, um, obviously, given that you're a presenter, you're also an entrepreneur, you're married, you're a friend. Um, how do you like to switch off and relax? Okay, um, great question. I think 
I think switching off is really hard for me because my husband is an entrepreneur as well. <laughs> so we're both as bad as each other. We'll be like, okay, okay, like 7 p.m. We're at home. Let's watch Netflix or something. And we'll start. And then, you know, one of us will start answering an email or doing something. And we would have to be like, you know, this is, you know, quiet time. So, but, you know, when I am able to switch off, I would say probably like, yeah, like reading a good book, watching Netflix, chatting on the phone to a friend. Um, oh, and I love doing home, like home facials, like home self-care type things. Um, yeah, those would probably be my favorite ways to switch off. I know, because I know when I, whenever I speak to entrepreneurs, they're always like, oh, that's an interesting question. Maybe <laughs> come back to me. <laughs> So I always think that um, our childhoods, um, the dots kind of always connect back when we look back um, and maybe see experiences or values that were instilled in us that have made us who we are today. So what was your childhood like? Kind of where did it happen? And what were the values and experiences that shaped you? Okay. So I always think of my childhood as being, being in sort of two parts because I was born in London. And then when I was about three, I moved back to Nigeria with my family. Um, and I lived here till I was about nine and a half. And then I moved back to London. I went to school in Sussex, Catholic school. So I think living in Nigeria, so between maybe like three and nine, um, my childhood was mainly characterized by sort of family and love. Like I remember going to my grandmother's house every Sunday and all my cousins would come around and she has a pool. So we'd go swimming. So it was definitely very sort of family oriented, very loving, very warm. Um, but also very, um, my mum. she's late now, but she was a lawyer. So she, put in a sort of very firm emphasis on education. You know, um, I remember having a lot of after school lessons and I think, yeah, even as, even as an adult, I really value sort of, you know, those core values I was taught back then about, you know, being hardworking, trying your best, um, always trying to, you know, learn as much as possible, but really always striving to, you know, be close to family and form memories and things like that. So that was lovely. Um, moving to the UK when I was nine and a half, um, I went straight into boarding school. So boarding school was really intense. I went to a Catholic boarding school. Was it quite an adjustment? Because I know um, for a lot of friends, maybe when they come abroad or even being like from a different heritage here, going into boarding school. Yeah, yeah. Good because you get to mix people from all different cultures, but also that sense that yeah. you are very different. So, what was that experience like for you? Okay, yes, no, it was definitely my god, it was a huge, massive cult. I cried for like a year. Wow. I was just like, I want to go back to Lagos, I want to go back because it wasn't that I didn't mix with people from different cultures. When I lived in Lagos, I went to AIS, which stands for American International School. So, there were kids from all over the world, you know, their parents were expats and they got enrolled in that school. Um, so it wasn't really it wasn't really the mixing with people. I think for me, it was just like, it was so cold. You know how the winter is um, this was in Sussex. So it was really cold and it was just, it was just different. Like, I don't know, just so much was expected. I think at such a young age, I feel like in boarding school it can be quite intense because focus is mainly on education. Um, and it was a bit lonely at first until obviously I made friends and then it was better. But I think, for the first couple of years, I kept saying I wanted to go back to Lagos for like three years at least, I'm sure. I kept complaining about it because <laughs> it was so intense. 
Um, so when you entered the world of work, what did you want to do? And maybe why did you want to do that? And how did you get started? Okay, so when I was much younger, when I was like 12, 13, I always wanted to be a kids TV presenter. It's so odd. <laughs> like, I don't know why, but I kind of was like, you know, watch um, Andy Peters and all these people on TV in the UK. And I thought I'd love to be a kids TV presenter. Um, but as I got older, that sort of evolved into wanting to be a journalist and wanting to tell stories. Um, so I went to UCL. I did English literature and then finished my degree and very quickly realized, like, well, what am I going to do? I don't have any specific, you know, career path. I had friends who'd studied medicine or, well, obviously they still have been studying, but who'd studied other things which were more vocational. Um, so because I'd always wanted to be a journalist, my mum and I decided I would go to City University and I would do a master's in journalism. Um, and then while I was at City, um, they, there was a there was a scholarship program that ITV News, I don't know if they still do it till today, but back then anyway, they would get, um, I think it's like 20 people from journalism programs around the UK. And then after you finish, they'd pay for your course. And after you finish, they would send you to a regional newsroom and you'd work in a regional newsroom for six months. So that's kind of how I got started. When I was at City, I applied for this program and I got in and they paid for my course. It was amazing because I knew I had a job. I would have a job when I finished. And when I finished, I um, was sent to ITV West, which is in Bristol. Um, so that's how I got my start. Amazing. And so how did you end up then in Nigeria? And what do you do now that you are there? Okay, so it's a bit of a convoluted... <laughs> Convolution route from Bristol to Nigeria, but um, I worked at ITV West for about 18 months and I applied to work at ITV in London. Uh, so got a job, moved down because my family home is in London, moved down from Bristol to London, worked at ITV News for about a year. I realized I hated it, um, not because I wasn't still interested in journalism, but because there's so much pressure in news, you know, you're if a story, you know, as soon as a story breaks, it's like sort of a race to get it out. And it's not just, you know, with broadcast journalism, you're putting, you're putting stories on air. So um, it's also about fact checking if it's a legal case and you are the producer that's working on that story and you make a mistake um, that can cause the station a lot of money cost a lot of money and also you can get a lot of trouble so I feel like I was constantly on the edge like oh my god you know writing stories but because there's so little time and there's so much pressure um I was always worried about you know I don't know making a mistake or yeah so I don't know a year into it I realized I really didn't want that pressure which is when I decided to take a sort of career break and I moved to New York for a year because I had friends who lived there and I'd always go and visit them in the summer and I thought I just want to live in New York I'm tired of London I'm tired of my job I want a bit of a break. So I left London, moved to New York, had an amazing time, didn't do a scrap of work. <laughs> Actually, I just enrolled for a, a film editing course at New York Film Academy. But, but let me learn something while I'm here. So I did the course, you know, chilled, and my friends had a good time. And after about a year, I realized that um, I actually wanted to move to Nigeria because I hadn't really lived here as an adult. Well, and I'd always visited, but not, you know, not for more than maybe two weeks at a time. And I just thought it'd be nice, something, you know, it would be something that I wanted, wanted to experience. So I know it all sounds very impulsive. Even I'm just like, what's going on? But yes, that was, those were my thoughts at the time. So that's what I did. I moved, I mean, my, um, I have extended family here. My grandmother lives here and 
my uncles and aunts and things like that. So when I moved back, I moved in with my grandmother, who's very happy to have me. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how I moved back. I didn't have a job lined up. I just thought I'll wing it and see how it goes. So I moved back at Christmas. And if there's anyone who's Nigerian listening or who's been to Nigeria at Christmas, you know how it is. It's like a whirlwind of parties and social events and it's amazing. So I had the best time over this Christmas break. Um, but by January, <laughs> everyone that yeah, I really knew... Needed. Had, yeah, had disappeared and gone back to the US, UK, wherever. So I was kind of stuck. I'm not stuck. I mean, voluntarily, I was here. And I kind of just put the word out there to everyone I knew, um, my family. And, you know, I didn't actually have, did I have any friends who actually lived here? I didn't think I did actually. So just my family, my cousins who lived here, I would say, looking for a job. You know, I'm a trained journalist and all the rest of it. And that's how um, someone referred me to someone who owns a, magazine it's in yeah it's called tw magazine it still exists till today um yeah so i interviewed there got a job as yeah like a print journalist which is my first time working in print actually but it was fine and that was the first job i ever i ever got in nigeria Amazing. Um, so Nigeria, because I'm Nigerian, I know that um, in some ways within industry, it can be a very patriarchal um, kind of culture, but also a huge deference to elders. So as a young woman in Nigeria, did you encounter any challenges as, as you've tried to make your way in the world of work? <laughs> yeah, I'm just laughing because I'm just remembering something. Yes, definitely. I didn't want. I didn't even know what I can say, which part of it I can share. But I think it's definitely a huge culture shock, you know. Because you know, um, you I mean you know, being in the UK, you don't. You can, you know, you can call your boss by her first name. I used to have a boss called Liz Hannum when I worked at ITV. We called her Liz. You know what I mean? It wasn't a big deal. Um, but living in Nigeria, you definitely could not do that. And <laughs> well, you can't. You won't have a job. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely won't have a job. And you'll be called all sorts of, you know, names. Like, you have no home training and things like that. So it was definitely a huge culture shock. My first job, I remember, um, I mean, my boss was great. But I remember, like, she'd walk into the office and she'd be like, oh, you know, you, you can't stand up when you see me coming. All of you children who have no home training, um, you know, and it's fine. It's cultural. It's a cultural difference. But I was just like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh, we're meant to stand up. Oh, sorry. You know, so yeah, I had to sort of learn all these things as I went along. Um, yeah, which was interesting, but I survived. So, yeah. Um, so I always like to think about um, as women, maybe from like previous generations, our mothers and our grandmothers, they maybe felt that they needed to sacrifice um, different elements, whether it was self-care or their careers or different things. Um, whereas now we have much more of a culture of we can do many things, um, but sometimes I think that puts kind of undue pressure on us. So you do a number of things yeah. with the median as an entrepreneur. How do you balance um, everything on your plate? Okay. Um, that's a great question. I think that, I think that I've always sort of looked up to women who do a lot of things, actually. Um, I've always found them really inspiring. I've always sort of aimed to be like them. And for me, I think having a good support system, because I think, you know, in previous generations, women, like you were saying, a lot of women either did one or the other. And if they did both, it was a massive deal. But for me, I feel like, um, I don't know. I feel like I've been able to have supportive people around me. Um, and I think it even goes into sort of your choice of partner as well, because 
you know, I think, you know, when I was dating um, my husband, I was very sort of upfront about, oh, you know, this is me. I do, I, I do my media work and I do my business. And obviously I, you know, have lots of time for him as well. Um, but everything sort of, I'm not going to suddenly just stop working, <laughs> you know? And I think it's, I think as women, it's important to not be afraid to be vocal about what we want and how we want things to go. Um, not just in our relationships, but just in general, because I feel like you get what you ask for. But I think sometimes we're, I don't know, sometimes it's like, oh no, just take what you can get and be grateful. But I think if you want to be able to do a lot of things, it's important to you. Like for me, I've always just been upfront about, oh, this is what I want. Um, and luckily it's worked out. So I think maybe just being surrounded by positive people, being confident enough to vocalize, you know, what you want. And then also just having boundaries um in terms of setting out time for everything like with my business obviously I have staff so I know that when I'm um you know filming shows and things like that I don't try to micromanage them I don't try to like oh let me see what's going on no I'm focusing on what I'm doing in that moment and then when I'm done filming obviously I can go and I can go and check in and make sure everything's fine so yeah maybe having a good team yeah definitely having a good team is also important because you can do it all but I don't think you can do it all by yourself yeah I don't think that's realistic um so having a good team having boundaries they're not being shy to talk about because I mean I know that before I got married um which was only in January, but before then, um, you're always kind of told like, oh no, you know, when you meet somebody, you just have to, I'm not saying, you know, being subservient is important in a marriage, um, but also, I don't know, I, I don't think it's, imp- I think it's okay to have an opinion and it's not one thing at the expense of another thing, which is sometimes culturally what we're led, I don't say led to believe, but I don't know, I think maybe, I don't think it's what we're led to believe. I think people can only really talk from their own sort of experience. But I know that a lot of what I, a lot of the things I heard before I got married were like, oh, you know, when you meet somebody, you have to, you know, whatever he wants to do, just be okay with it. And I don't know. There wasn't much room for expression, I guess. So I think don't be afraid to be expressive and to, you know, vocalize what you want. And I think particularly in our culture that there's so much of a focus on like getting married and the thought of not getting married can sometimes be portrayed as like the worst thing to happen. So I know that for a lot of women, it's like, you know, just whatever you can do to make sure that you make it essentially across the line um, rather than being too kind of demanding and vocal before in case you kind of miss out. Um, Whereas I think our generation is seeing it differently where you don't want to be a woman who ends up really unhappy in her marriage because she hasn't been able to be true to who she was at the beginning. And also just be clear, you want to be honest with the person that you're going to spend your life with. So there's no point kind of going into it and telling them that you're happy to give up all your dreams and aspirations and then getting into marriage and then actually saying, oh no, this is not what I've want. Um, so yeah, I think that's really yeah. Uh, so I'd love to hear more about your business um, and entrepreneurial side and kind of what you sure. did, why you went into that. Okay, awesome. Um, okay, so when I moved back to Nigeria, I'd always, I started working at a magazine, like I said. Um, so I kind of came back wanting to, you know, keep up my, my nails every week like I would in New York. And I realized it was kind of expensive um, in Lagos to get your nails done. And all the places were sort of these really big fancy nail salons and when I lived in New York 
I would go to these sort of neighborhoody small nail salons and I didn't sort of see anything similar in Lagos. And I thought, oh, okay, this would be a cool sort of business to start. Um, so I did. Started off with that um, location and that did really well. A lot of people, you know, patronized and all the rest. And that ended, that led to me, should I say, having um, four locations. But um, over over time, I realized that it was really, really hard to manage um, <laughs> yeah, several locations. And, you know, I had a lot of issues to do with staff and theft and all sorts of things. So I had to restructure my business about two years ago, like two and a half years ago. Yeah. I restructured. So now I have one main branch, but we have a sort of um, product line. What have been some of the most challenging times in your career or business and how have you overcome that? Okay. That's a great question. Um, I think, okay, so I'll start with my career first. In terms of my TV career, I think when I first started, um, I started working at a small station uh, called Spice TV. It's not that small, actually. It's a, it's a fashion station here in Nigeria. And I'm not a very pushy person. So I felt, you know, as a TV presenter, you, you have to have a sort of like very, you know, pushy, not pushy, but maybe very extroverted personality, you know, so people know this is me, this is what I can do and all the rest of it. And that's not me. So I think it was pretty hard for me starting off um, being professional and having all the skills and everything, but maybe not being able to push myself out there as, you know, as, as much as I should have or could have. Um, So that was one of the main challenges, but I think I overcame it. How did I overcome that? I think I was just persistent. I think I just did what I knew I was good at, did my job and, um, and that's interesting because I, where I used to work, because I work at Ebony Life now, which is another, another station here in Lagos. But um, in my first TV job here, I sort of had to leave that job because I felt um, I wasn't really progressing um, as much as I wanted. And I think that's another thing about sort of, you know, being assertive about your value and, you know, your body of experience I felt like you know I have this much experience and I you know I can do a lot more and I spoke to management about it and they kept saying oh don't worry you know your time will come and all the rest of it so (laughs) when you know things didn't seem to be progressing I ended up leaving that job and then moving over to where I work now which is Ebony Life so I think for me a lot of it has been um I don't know, I think has been self-belief and, you know, thinking, okay, I'm here, but I want to be there. What can I do to get there? And I'm, I'm very prayerful as well. So a lot of prayer, a lot of um, soul searching and a lot of sort of taking action um, at points where I felt, you know, this, it's now time to move to another stage. Um, those are the things that have really sort of helped me move forward in my career. Amazing. Because I think, yeah, when I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs or people just who are thriving in their careers, they always talk about being self-aware enough to kind of assess where you are um, and things that you need to develop or change in order to get to the next stage. So it's really encouraging to hear that. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about personal growth and identity. Um, because I guess in the age of social media we're in a culture of keeping up appearances and obviously you're on TV is a huge part of your job so how do you stay authentic to who you are and your values in the midst of that? 
I, I think it's easy to get caught up in things that we see on social media in terms of, you know, um, images of other people's success or, um, you know, possessions and things like that and to, and to sort of aspire towards those things. But for me, I'm, I think because I know, like, and I am a bit of a geek inwardly and I sort of, so I, I sort of stay true to, you know, like my friends aren't necessarily um, celebrities. Um, so I, I sort of stay true to who I am and, you know, the people that I naturally gravitate to and what's important to me. I think just keeping the right people around you will help not getting caught up in those things. Another thing is I don't try and compete because I think sometimes it's easy to be like, oh, this person, you know, is a public figure. Oh, this person's wearing the latest, you know, I don't know, Balenciaga shoes. I'm going to get those shoes. And, you know, then it's like always this one-upmanship thing. And I... I've always realized, like, no, I'm never going like, to... I can't keep up with anybody. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can only do what I'm comfortable with, what I can afford, and what makes me happy because I think it, it's an endless thing sometimes. I'm not saying, you know, if, if, if that's what you like and that's for you, great. I'm not bashing anybody. I'm just saying everyone has to... Well, for me, I realize that I need to be authentic to myself and I can't be running somebody else's race because that will make me forget my own focus and my own purpose. And that's what's most important to me that I fulfill my own purpose. And so that, uh, that keeps me grounded. Amazing. Cause yeah, I think as you say, the minute we start trying to chase other things, there's kind of no limit to chasing somebody else's success or what they have. If that's kind of how we live our lives. Um, we just get so didn't I remember, um, speaking to someone they were talking about how when a horse is racing they have blinkers on so that they can just kind of face forward and I think as human beings Mm. with social media it's made us every five minutes you're always seeing like oh this is where this person lives or this is the promotion of this person or this is the opportunity that person got whereas you can just get so distracted rather than just kind of focusing on what your purpose is and what you're supposed to be doing um so I want to talk about mentors so what role have mentors played in your life um mentors that's a great question I think mentors have definitely played a huge role in terms of and when I think of mentors, I think of people I don't even know, just people I admire from afar and I watch and I study, you know. Um, so in terms of my journalism career, there's a lady who's a great journalist, she's a very prominent journalist. Um, she's an ITV journalist. Her name is Ronke Phillips. Um, I think she's still on London tonight. She's very senior. But I met her at the very start of my career through family friend. And she, you know, she was so encouraging towards me. She had me come in, do work experience with her. Um, she was always sort of, you know, checking in on me and things like that. So that was really fantastic. I really, really appreciated that. And it, and it helped me see that, you know, women can support other women. Because sometimes there's this, there's this sort of notion of, you know, women being, you know, catty or, you know, all those things. but that hasn't, mm, I know I've experienced a bit of that, but that has not been sort of my overall experience. My overall experience has been, you know, with women being very positive. For me, mentors are very important because if you're trying to get somewhere, you can either try to stumble through it yourself and make the mistakes, or you can go to someone who's been there before. Even if it's not somebody that you know, like I said, even if it's someone that you admire Maybe, you know, you can watch their interviews or you can read their books um, and you can find out how they've done it as a sort of blueprint 
for you to sort of um, tread the same path. Um, yeah, so I think, I think that's really important. I think nobody has to sort of fumble through anything by themselves. There is help and there is support always available. Amazing. Um, so in an age of social media, um, there are obviously positive things to being on social media, particularly if you're an entrepreneur, it's a great way to get um, the word out. But there obviously are some adverse effects, um, just even the amount of screen time or also dealing with people with negative comments or whatever. How do you deal with some of the adverse effects to mental health of both being in the spotlight and then maybe social media? Okay, that's a great question. Um, from a career standpoint, um, my page on social media is mainly sort of, you know, professional things like, you know, like events I cover and work I do and there's some personal pictures from my wedding, I think, on there as well. But I don't put my whole life on social media. So even if people, you know, say negative comments or anything like that, I know that, well, you're only seeing sort of maybe like a tenth <laughs> of my actual life. You know what I mean? It's not my whole life. And so maybe because I've created that sort of mental distancing um I don't tend to take things personally because I you know it's like well you have may have an impression from what you've seen but you don't really know who I mean my entirety yeah from the business standpoint I really only had positive experiences with social media in terms of um you know marketing my business and in terms of getting you know people to be more aware of it um maybe screen time would be the only negative and I actually have someone who handles my uh like a social media manager to handle my business page so I don't I mean obviously I check and all the rest of it but I don't have to be on there all the time because that would actually be pretty it can be pretty draining you know being on there all the time (laughs) um so I wanted to ask um as to whether you've ever suffered from imposter syndrome. And I guess looking from the outside in, like you're very successful, you're doing multiple things, you're married. Have you ever suffered with imposter syndrome? Yeah, definitely. Oh my goodness, yes. I think (laughs) imposter syndrome is such a common thing. And I think the thing with imposter syndrome, the way I've been able to get over it, I mean, it's not like something that just comes and goes. It has, it recurs once in a while. But for me, I think self-talk is really important in terms of being really kind and being really positive in the way that you talk to yourself, you know, in terms of saying things like, yeah, I've got this, I can do this, I know I'm qualified. All those things are really sort of helpful. Because I think imposter syndrome is more, it's, it's, it's not really based on anything. It's more of a feeling than actually a rational thing do you know what I mean so I think if you're able to just pump yourself back up or you know everyone has that one friend who is just so good at encouraging you and telling you how amazing you are call that one friend and let them you know ginger you up and get your height so so you realize just how you know amazing you are because for me I realized I couldn't be anybody else I couldn't be like I couldn't be you know super like extroverted and like oh you got this and blah 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 that's not me I'm more I'm more chill I'm more easygoing but you know there's people that watch the show and say oh Tallulah I like the way you know I I really relate with you I relate with the things you say and all the rest of it so everyone's got their own perspective and everyone's got you know people who will relate with their own perspective so that's what's most important being authentically yourself and not being afraid to push that out and not sort of trying to dilute who you are with anything else just to 
be able to emulate anybody else. You know, you can't be anybody else. That, that's the truth. So just, you know, try and be the most of who you can be. Amazing. And my final question is, what role does faith play in your life and your day-to-day work? I love that question. Um, well, for me, I'm a Christian. And I think a couple of years ago, I realized that I wasn't, like I was going to church on Sundays and then every other day I was like, la, 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 just going about my daily life. Um, so I made an effort to change that for me in terms of my experience. Christianity isn't just something that, you know, you just call on God and like, oh God, I need help now. Or, you know, it's more of a relationship and just like you want to have a relationship and you want to communicate with the people that you love. Um, it's the exact same way with God. So that just sort of helped to, yeah, help to bring God into my day-to-day as opposed to Christianity just being sort of like a tick box, you know, on a Sunday. And it's been amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Lulu. It's been so great to chat to you. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from this, go ahead and share this with them. Also, don't forget to rate and review. It really helps us out. See you next time.